Hello, welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and today we would like to continue our discussion on what we see in the battle royale that is the Democratic primary, the argument that more growth is the key to saving our environment, the lawsuit filed by XX chromosome females against an athletic sanctioning body in Connecticut to prevent gender participation in female events, and the identification of another prehistoric hominid species that modern humans were in and around, you know, in, in, in many different ways. Uh, Tunde Ogunlana is still here with me. What up? Yeah, what's up, man? What's <laughs> up? And you are listening right now to part two of our discussion. We released part one a couple of days ago, and in that we discussed what we saw in, in the Battle Royale-style Democratic primary, including the legitimacy of, of Michael Bloomberg parachuting in midstream and spending his way to relevancy, uh, jumping right in. Tunde, I know you saw that, that article this week in Newsweek, which we have in the show notes on our website, which you can find at callitlikeiseeit.com. Uh, but the article in Newsweek arguing that our society can essentially grow itself to a better place by continuing to invest in innovation and things like that, but grow ourselves to a better place from an environmental standpoint. Uh, what stood out to you in that? What did, what did you see in that? Um, it was fascinating, actually, the, uh, the article, because... Um it started with some of the things, you know, with the, the references to Earth Day from 1970, uh, 50 years ago. And, you know, obviously, we, we, you, neither you or I were alive at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, it was just fascinating to read what the, the, the scientists and people feared back then because of the way that, I guess, natural resources were being uh, extracted from the Earth. So at the time, oil and, and aluminum and all, you know, other metals even gold, they, they thought that the world would run out of gold by a certain point. Um, and I think what, again, what, 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 what also was fascinating was that through better technology, it was discovered over these last few decades that there's, that there's not only more resources than maybe was first thought back then, but the technology has allowed us to get to those resources. So, and use kind of them do- more efficiently. Correct, and use them more efficiently. So the doom and gloom that people felt back then um, hasn't played out the way that they thought because of all the various factors, like you mentioned, efficiencies brought about through technology and also just continued refinement of whatever, you know, the, the research and development that had happened up till 1970, but then also the application of certain, um, um, like they talked about the, 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 the CFCs for the ozone hole and, um, you know, the, the Clean Air uh, Acts and things like that, that there was an effort by our society um, to make sure that we clean things up. And so it was a great example and reminder that, you know, we can improve in the environment if we put our collective hats together. The other thing I found fascinating, because we know there's been, unfortunately, a lot of extinction by land animals over this last 50 years, um, uh, or I don't know if I said that right, by land animals, but extinction of land animals, certain certain species. But I found it interesting that there's been no extinction recorded, at least, of marine life in the past 50 years. And they talked about how the whale populations, other big marine creatures were heading that direction towards extinction, but through certain regulations that were agreed upon through different nations of, you know, anti-whaling, all that kind of stuff, uh, these populations have rebounded. So, it just—it was a good reminder that if, if humanity puts their mind to something, 
that we can accomplish a lot. And I think that's what I got out of it. You know, it was very interesting because we touched on that. Uh, what was that? A, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the environment and you had mentioned, you know, like, can we get off of fossil fuels in a hundred years? Or then I was like, well, I mean, if we went to the moon, you know, if we said in 1960, we're going to the moon and 69, we're at the moon. Um, you know, we can do a lot if we really try to. I found what I took from this one was I, I just wasn't aware of how doom and gloom it was in the 70s. Kind of yeah, like you pointed exactly. out, like where it was like, hey, we're going to run out of this stuff in the next 10, 15 years. And, you know, it, it's the air is going to be 10 times worse and everything like that. And it sounds a lot like what people are saying now in terms of climate change. And, um, you know, but changes were able to be made to stem that tide. And um, so that I found to be, you know, very uh, encouraging. But the piece that stood out to me in this was more so how the will from society is what makes it happen, from, from industrialized society really is what makes it happen. So when you put in regulations that make it less profitable to pollute, then companies respond and, and innovate. And they innovate in ways that make themselves more efficient or make themselves less polluting. And so, and then the same thing, like conceivably, you could apply that same logic to from a car, from a carbon emission standpoint or from climate change standpoint, where if we just set up the rules of the game to where it's less profitable to do things that cause climate change, then it seems like the, the solution will take care of itself. Industry itself will figure out a way to, to, to do things in a way that is not harmful in the way, at least in the way that it is now. And so, and that's, I, I come to this often where I just, I, I refuse to, to accept where we don't ask the high achievers in our society to do better, where we're afraid and they're, oh, I want to make you make it easy for me, make it easy for me. It's like, well, no, man, make it so that things work. But at the same time, if we have to ask the people that the quote unquote best and brightest, the people that are innovating in industry and the people that are building, you know, these massive, you know, amazing structures. Like if we have to ask them to be a little better, then what's the problem with that? Be a little better. And so and this shows that if you do, they respond, you know, then now they may. I don't think they're asking for it, saying, hey, yeah, make us, you know, make make it so that the way I do things now doesn't work as well. So I have to figure out another way to do it. But it clearly is something I mean, that's what to jump out is that, that it works if you do that. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think that, um, well, first of all, I think just speaking to your comment about um, the way people react to this stuff, I think it's just kind of that psychological thing that everyone is scared of change in a sense. And then what has happened, I think, in the last probably 30 years is the fossil fuel industry has done a very good job on playing on people's kind of natural instinctive fear of, 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 of change. Yeah, and so yeah that's a good they, point. They, 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 they market and, and through all the, you know, the, the political things and all that and marketing and commercials and all that, they just make people feel like, well, you know, if you can't, if you don't let us keep feeding you the crack of oil and, 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 and kind of fossil dirty fuel, then it's all going to go away and this is all going to end terribly. And what I found amazing about this article was that they just gave a lot of stats. You know, sometimes it is true that the numbers don't lie. And I'm uh, read one highlighted uh, part I, 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 that stuck out to me here that said that the U.S. economy is more than two and a half times as big as it was in 1970, yet atmospheric sulfur dioxide levels have declined by more than 90%. And other kinds of air, water, and land pollution have also declined dramatically. And it goes back to, again, like you said, there was another show that you and I had where we, where we touched on this topic. And I said, you know, I re you're from Ohio, I'm from D.C. Um, you know, the, 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 the lake inside of Cleveland was, was on fire at one point. Um, and, and, and you and I both, because we come from industrial kind of related areas of the country. I mean, I remember 
as a kid in the 80s in elementary school, sometimes when we had high winds coming from the direction of West, West Virginia, kids with asthma and other kind of breathing-related issues were told to stay indoors for the day because of the dust that blew from the coal mines in West Virginia. And so, you know, it's just thinking like, yeah, that doesn't really happen anymore. And, 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 and so that's, that's, those are the things that really stuck out to me in reading this was that it kind of put the data exactly with what you're saying is that through all these changes that have actually helped the environment over the last 50 years, they haven't eroded our economic growth. I mean, that was the biggest thing that's no, out to me. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's the, been the stock market has probably gone up 10 times since the 70s. I mean, I don't know the exact figure, but we know it's gone up a lot in the last 20 years, so we know it's gone up a lot in the last 50 years. And so the idea that if, if going back to some of the other shows we've done, as a, as a cheap plug to go look at our archives to the <laughs> audience, um, if you listen to our kind of our, our comments about the economy, the markets, all that, really they're, they're all leading indicators. They're, they're forward-looking of, of the anticipation of growth of capital. And so, you know, for the market to keep growing over the last 50 years means that there was continued, no matter what happened with environmental regulations and this and that, and, and, and things that, again, like I said, that the fossil fuel industry has marketed to our population that, that put the fear in that by putting on certain regulations, I know that there are some regulations that do stifle economic kind of activity, but, but, but environmental regulations that they somehow would cause some sort of financial collapse. I think this article does a great job of disproving that myth. And like you're saying, like even something like cap and trade, I was surprised on because I remember when that was all in the, um, in the, in the kind of lexicon and the media of politics, I didn't realize we had cap and trade like laws now. Like I, I, I just heard about it like 10 years ago and then it went away. And here it says, another quote I highlighted, cap and trade has been a huge success and then it says, as a result, the, the law costs utilities just $3 billion annually, not the $25 billion as they originally estimated. It also generates an estimated $122 billion a year in benefits from avoided death and illness, healthier lakes and forests, and improved visibility on the eastern seaboard. So those are the things I thought of too, right? It's hard to explain to people like a problem that didn't happen. Because yeah. you avoid it, yeah. right? So it's like, it's like, like that was the thing for me: improved I- visibility on the eastern seaboard. Because that's when I, I kind of jog my memory about what I lived through as a kid when the smog would come over from the coal mines. I mean, you could see that, and that's yeah. unattractive. So you could figure, like, we live in Florida. Imagine if there was some sort of serious smog and all that in the Sunshine State. I'm sure it would hurt tourism. It would hurt other things. So that's why it's hard. Like, it's hard to explain to people that being a good steward of the economy is an economic boost because it avoids all these other issues that would then either cost money through like having to clean up a mess or, or be a lost revenue of a certain part of the country through things like tourism, business investment, or people just wanting to move there and investing kind of their own capital as individuals, but on mass that helping a certain, you know, uh, economic engine in that part of the country. So, yeah, I thought it was a fascinating article. And I, no, it, nobody ever can can effectively claim the the the, the, the credit for the problem that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, like it's just it's hard, it's so speculative. You know, so yeah, you run into that thing like the issues that we avoided because of the changes that have been made, the regulations put in place. Nobody can quantify that because it didn't happen. 
And so, um, you know, now one thing uh, I wanted to mention, you, you mentioned the fossil fuel companies and how, you know, they, they, they gin up the fear a lot of times with this. One of the things that always stood out to me was uh, I, I read, I, I don't know where I saw this, but um, just that like companies like Exxon, they'll spend more in marketing how they're trying to be clean than they will in actually being clean. Which is like the craziest thing in the world. Like it's like, like if you guys actually really wanted to do better, you really could, you know. But you choose not to, and that's where this type of stuff really comes into play. Is that it's it takes policy to give them the reason. They don't just do it. Generally speaking, you know, they're they're comfortable funny. with where they are, and so they don't do it. And, and I want to ask you before you jump in. I want to ask you one question, and Drew, you can comment and then answer this. And they, the question is. So all of the, the, the doom and gloom from the 70s, you know, we avoided it, you know, like, so to speak, or a lot of it. Um, does that vindicate at all the, the climate deniers? Is, so just get to that, too. And, and no, as you okay, respond. so my, my joke was going to be it, what you said about the fossil fuel industry spending more on marketing than they do about it. Costs, they spend more on that than they do uh, maybe just being clean. <laughs> it reminds me of when I was a kid. My uncle was real smart. And he became very successful in his life, but he was never like good in school. And my mom used to joke and say, you know, your uncle, would, because you know, obviously they were kids and grew up together in the same house. So she would say, when we were kids, your uncle would spend more time like figuring out how to cheat on the test than actually just studying and, and learning <laughs> the stuff. Like she said, he would at the time, you know, they were kids in the 50s or whatever and, and 60s. So he would like be the type that, that, that would write it with a real sharp pencil in, in the like what it would be equivalent to they have two point font and yeah, some piece of yeah, paper yeah. to hide it up his sleeve and <laughs> he had all these techniques she's telling me and he'd spend like three hours in his room trying to trying to get ready to cheat on the test versus she'd say and she would say well I would just read for 40 minutes and I'd know it you know yeah and, I, and it goes back to just certain personalities they just want to get around the system like no matter what that is so nuts. just as that you say nuts. that it reminds me that you know but but um but in, in answering your question does it vindicate some of the climate deniers look I'm sure someone can look at this type of article and say, yeah, see, everybody, because I thought about that too, right? Well, maybe we're making too much of a big deal now and it'll all work itself out. And I think there's a natural tendency to say that when you do see evidence um, that there was once such a negative look at, at, at the potential outcome of something and it since hasn't gotten that bad. Um, I would say that let's not allow that to get us complacent about the future. Um, you know, I think it's a great... It's great to read that things could have been much worse and they aren't as bad as what folks predicted. I think that part of that is just the, the, the uh, um, unforeseen uh, exponential uh, growth and ability of technology to help us in that area. Like you said about certain things becoming more efficient um, and then also the ability to explore. I mean, something like fracking, for example, was probably not even um, really thought of or even understood yet in 1970. Um, now it is. The, the liquefaction of natural gas back then, I'm not sure what's happening. Um, the deep water drilling, uh, you know, miles and miles under the ocean surface and then ability to drill underground that far, you know, under the ocean surface, uh, you know, surface level of the water. That wasn't able to happen. So there's a lot of things that have happened technologically that, that I think will continue to help us in this march towards being economically friendly, sorry, environmentally friendly and not destroying the planet. However, I think we need to stay vigilant. I think that's where the danger of something like this article can, can, can lead us is just into some sort of complacency. Like, oh, look, 
we're so good and we made sure we didn't have that bad a disaster that maybe we, we don't have to keep our foot on the pedal of, of, of marching towards some sort of sustainable energies and all that. And so I just, I just think that it's a great, it's, 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 a, it's like a nice refresher to me, I guess is how yeah. I felt. Let me just say it that way. It was refreshing to see that, you know, we've gone in a good direction but I think the article did point to some of the maturing industries, uh, countries, or I should say, like the sub-Saharan African uh, region, um, the South Asian region. What was, what was nice to see was that economies like China and India are actually improving a lot just in this past def- decade. I have heard that from a lot of the climate kind of skeptics here in the United States where they go, well, why should we do anything? China just keeps polluting and they got a billion people. This article actually poked holes in that. Yeah, that as they're getting wealthier, their population, just like ours did, is is demanding a better environment. They don't want to wear masks. Yeah, all they over don't their want seats. to live in a bunch of smog either. No, I mean that was actually yeah. a good takeaway. Also, was that it seems to follow the initial growth and then the the the, the country becoming wealthier and more industrialized. After that, then Correct. the concern to be a good steward comes. And so it doesn't, it, it almost like you can't do both at the same time. You do one and then you figure out how to incorporate the second. I'd say this does yeah. not though, this does not vindicate the climate deniers at all. And in fact, it reveals the climate deniers as the problem. And the reason is that the, the article doesn't say and show or show that this happened, that this, the problem just resolves itself. Like what it shows is that by people being worried about it, by people do, taking actions through policy or otherwise that force industry to adapt, that is what creates the solution. So if you just deny the problem and don't create conditions that would force the industry to improve, then you will spiral into an abyss. And so actually what saves you is, is, the, is the climate deniers being shouted down and that doesn't mean, hey, we just won't burn any type of uh, combustible uh, material anymore. It means that, hey, if you're going to do that, then by, by next year, you have to have 50% less. Then the next year, you have to have 20% less. And the industry said, oh, that'd be no fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they do it, and then they're still making money. And, and that seems to be just what happens here. And so yeah. we do need people, though, to... Say to, to try to say, hold yourself to a higher standard. Or we're going to hold you to a higher standard because that's how the innovation happens. The innovation happens because policy requires it or the public requires it. So, yep. yeah, so I, I, I wanted to, you know, we had a couple topics we wanted to hit. So, you know, we'll move to the next one now. But that's, that was just something. A lot of times when we talk about the environment, it's always, oh, did you hear about this? This is terrible. Oh, did you hear about this? This is terrible. But this one was, was cool because it's like, actually, if we look back at what we were saying, what we thought in the 70s, we're in a much better place than what we thought then. So that actually gives you hope that as long as we continue along the same path of trying to hold ourselves to higher standards, that we can get into a better place. Um, another uh, thing that, that stuck out uh, this week or that, that we noticed this week was the lawsuit filed up in Connecticut uh, by cisgender teens. Um, it, it related to athletic competition. Um, and we, we wanted to speak about this delicately. I mean, both you and I know, you know, we try to be fair, but and this is an issue that arouses passion. Um, this is an issue that, um, you know, people that, that just our society right now is having a hard time coming to grips with. Um, but what happened basically is that um, the women, you know, X, X chromosome women, females um, in high school were competing against transgender women, X, Y chromosome women, and were losing. And they're saying, hey, we're losing opportunities. We're, we're, you know, scouts aren't going to come to see us because we're losing races. And it's not fair. You know, like basically like we are competing against um, female or, or women who are not 
uh, XX chromosome women. I mean, I say it like that because that is unambiguous. You know, it's the chromosome, you go down the chromosome level, that's unambiguous. And so, I mean, they, they're basically saying we need protection in th- through through how the, the san- sports sanctioning body is doing this from the XY chromosome. And, and I guess I should be clear, the, the, the from a chromosome standpoint, the difference between male and females of humans and, and other species is women, you know, females have xx chromosome and males have xy chromosome so that's a an unambiguous way it's not that's not specific to humans that's you know that goes into sexual reproduction which is distinct from asexual reproduction which is like bacteria that replicate themselves but sexual reproduction requires two opposing genders uh, work together to create a offspring um but again that's not limited to humans that's a lot of animals um and organisms i should say that's a lot of organisms so the, 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 the XX chromosome women want protection. That's the following lawsuit. They did a, a, a Title IX claim. Now they're in federal court also. Um, you know, like, but Tunde, like some people would look at this and say that this is discriminatory against the trans students, um, them filing this lawsuit. Uh, so first question I want to ask you is who, need protection? who needs protection here? Who, who should the rules of society be trying to protect in this instance? I don't know. Um. <laughs> That's my first answer. It's no, it's in. I think you're right in kind of prefacing this that uh, we we might even laugh and joke in this segment, but um, this is a very serious, and this isn't you know nothing we say is meant to offend anyone. Um, and the reason I say I don't know about who needs protection is because you're right. I mean, this is this is an argument right that we've heard of where the, I guess the transgender community is is. Uh, let's call it a newer minority segment within the United States over the last, you know, X amount of years or decades. Um, so, like, as far as being other, recognized, correct. And, yeah, and yeah. so, any group that feels that they're, you know, that they're that their rights are being infringed upon, we believe in this country that they have a right to speak up and we have freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff and, and a bill of rights that says everyone should be treated equal. Um, but I do sympathize for the um, the students who are. You know, girls that are born that way and 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 identify that way, that are saying that, you know, in the end, no matter what this person calls themselves or feel they are, their genetics are male; they're not female. Um, so therein, that's not fair for our competition. So that's why I said I don't know because it's it's complicated because both sides have an axe to grind in this, um, but. I do think, you know, and, and here's where I guess I'll put my opinion in this. Um, I, don't, I don't think, I think that transgender, this whole topic is a very unique topic, uh, much more so than just, you know, the old arguments of kind of gay and straight. Um, because uh, someone that's gay is not, is not claiming to be of a different sex. They just have, you know, they, they like someone of the same sex. And I think where the modern argument about uh, the gay um, kind of, concern or issue is, is some people believe that one is born with it. Others believe maybe more the religious crowds and all that believe it's more of a choice. And that's why they have their, you know, they believe that they can change people from that. Um, but in the end, no one is, is, is disagreeing that a gay man is a man or a gay woman is a woman. Um, I think where the transgender thing gets, has society a little bit more murkier with the topic is that People feel like they, they want to be able to live the life that they believe they should be living. So I guess a, a man might say, I feel like a woman and I should have been born a woman. So I'll just use myself as an example, not pick on you. Okay. So let's say I decided that was me 
And I'm a six foot four male who played NCAA Division One college basketball. You know, I've been trained as an athlete, all that. Obviously, I'm in my 40s, so I'm not moving around like I used to. But at the end of the day, let's say I was 25 or 23. And now all that, all that male testosterone, hormones, and all that, if I just say now that I feel like a woman, is it fair that a guy like me who comes from the background I came from athletically is allowed just to show up and compete against women on a basketball court? I don't know if that's fair or not. Because genetically, in, in doing I'm, so, I'm, taking an opportunity from correct. a a X X from a female, female. who's yeah. who's an X yeah X X X, X, X chromosome yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. chromosome because there's there is naturally something within my X Y chromosome structure and the fact that I produce more testosterone than a female being a male will you know from a DNA standpoint. I mean, like one thing, I had a, I'm six foot four, and at my, you know, my peak in college when they were measuring all this stuff, I think I had a 34 inch vertical. I mean, I could do windmills. I was doing 360 dunks, all that, and that's that's. I, it, would that be fair for me to walk onto a court full of females and be treated the same? Like just to say, you could, yeah, you can just do that. That's 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 fair. And so what it got me thinking of. So then someone could say, well, Tunde, if you're gonna, you know, maybe the way to do it then would be. You know, you, you fully go through the operation, you know, of, of getting your penis changed to a vagina. And then also um, you start taking estrogen. So that reduces your hormones. So you're not as strong. OK, so maybe that I got to go through all that to be considered, you know, now it's fair for me to compete against women. But then I thought about it. So then what about all male sports? Should we then say it's fair for it was a fair for Barry Bonds and, um, and, and Mark McGuire to be on steroids? Because in the end, that's changing the hormone makeup and that's making them stronger so so what i'm saying is i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying this opens up another whole can of worms about sports and competition and is it based on and how much you the can do to change correct yeah are, like yeah. your natural ability yeah. is just a human being that trains hard or are we going to allow everyone now to start using kind of supplements to enhance or reduce their ability and Again, maybe I'm not here to say which one is right or wrong. I'm saying this is opening up a whole new can of worms. And I'm tending to say, like my going back to my opinion on this, is it goes back to like the bathroom thing. I think at this point where we are with this conversation is still pretty new and everyone's kind of, a lot of people getting used to it. Just whatever you got between your legs or what you were born with should be, you know, what the law identifies you with because, you know, how do we identify other than that, right? Like, if, if, and especially for minors, that's why I think it's different when you're talking about the high school sports and, and all that, because I don't know if a minor is actually able to get, I mean, I'm just ignorant to this, so I don't mean to, you know, this to be seen as any way other than what I'm saying. I don't know if someone 15, 16 is able to get a full, like the, the whole hormones changes and the actual physical change operationally as maybe an adult would. So I'm going to guess that all these high school sports competition, when you're talking about this, you know, the transgender kid that is wanting to compete in the girls track and field competition is really a boy who's identifying as a girl. So realistically, is still a male chromosomes and DNA. And again, is that fair? I think that's a fair well, question to ask. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's where that is and, the question. And it's a question to ask. And that's why I want to be clear again. By asking that question doesn't mean I'm disrespecting the transgender community. 
I, I, I just think that it's a fair question. Well, we're asking ask. the question though in yes. a specific context. So, I mean, yes, definitely. I think the objective here is to be fair, but the question is to to look at it and, and tell, tell what do you see? And so, like, I, I start when I look at this is just, you know, when you define what gender is, you know, like, and so if, if, if you're saying gender is a classification standpoint, then you may look at it differently than you look at if you're saying gender is an identification standpoint. And that's where I think you get kind of lost with this type of thing. Um, and because I, I from from in many ways, like with the bathroom thing, I, I actually would come down in a different place than I do here. Like I look at from this standpoint, I think the cisgender women need protection. Um, I do not think that XY chromosome females or XY chromosome males in terms of how they identify um, should compete in high level athletics against XX chromosome uh, females. I don't think they like, I think they should be able to compete against themselves. Like there are physiological differences. And when you start talking about the, 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 I'm saying gender as a classification, when you talk talking about female uh, gender versus male genders, physiological differences, the shape of the pelvis is different. It's, it's like, this is not, this is biology. And the reason I say this is biology is biology is in large part classification. When I call someone a mammal, I am not trying to insult a bird. You know, I'm not trying to say anything about a bird. Like, it's just, that's how we, we classify mammals. You know, they, you know my pet iguana got real offended yes, but no, you know, like, last week. <laughs> whether you, but no, no, think about it. Whether you, and again, this is why I say when you're talking, it's, it, it's about yeah, classification. Right. Classification. It's, well, let me say it. It's about classification, not identity when whether or not you decide to breastfeed for example even mammals one of the the the, the things that distinguish them from other species other types of animals would be breastfeeding their young but whether you actually decide to breastfeed doesn't come into play whether or not you're a mammal you know like you you can decide not to breastfeed but that doesn't call into question whether in fact you're a mammal because it's about the classification when we talk about it in that framework now i get the the the, the the pushback from an identity standpoint. And actually I support that. Like I don't, I don't, if, if, if someone who is a XY chromosome male wants to wear a dress or wants to, to identify in another way, Hey, I'll support you. You know, that's fine. You know, like I, 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 I don't think there should be set roles from a societal standpoint or a cultural standpoint that you have to do because you are one gender or another. But when we're talking classification, when we're talking about that, XY chromosome males have more muscle mass to body mass, you know, a higher muscle mass to body mass ratio as a general rule. Why they have a different hip to waist ratio. Why XY chromosome females actually, because of the size of the pelvis, because of the hip to waist ratio, are more prone to, and, and they also have uh, uh, the tendons and ligaments are a little, are, are not as powerful, um, are more prone to ACL injuries. Like when you start looking at those things from, and, and none of that stuff has to do with identity. Those are just are terms of how the bodies are constructed on the different genders. So in this case, when we're talking about athletic competition, I do think that the XX chromosome, the cisgender females need protection because they should be able to have a level playing field with other people who have the same genetic disposition that they do from that standpoint, because that's what the whole point of the competition is. And so you, I, I don't I don't think it, you may have a mixed division. You know, I'm fine with that. But if, if, if women want to or XX chromosome females want to compete against other XX chromosome females who all share that different shape pelvis pelvis um, from from a, a biological standpoint, I think that would be fair to them. You know, and to ask them to compete against other people based on their identity, I think would be unfair. Um, so that's where I would that, that again, because 
I look at it from a biological standpoint. And biology, well, biology is about classification more than identification. Yeah, and it's an interesting point you make because one thing, based on what you just said, makes me feel like, you know, maybe the society, we just need to ask ourselves, do we, you know, one way to get around this is, do you now, do you, do you go away with delineating um, any male or female sports and just say the best people, like basically you have, let's say, an NBA and you don't have WNBA or NBA, you just have... Whether male or female, the best one is going to make it. Now, I think the reason why we have a WNBA is probably because if you did that, probably the NBA would still be 100% male There's or no 99%. Rule saying, no, hold yeah. on. There's no rule saying women can't play in the NBA. That, yeah, that, that's, that's true. They're not there. They're, <laughs> I guess so, maybe, yeah, we never, we never open our minds the, that, the that point far. Is, but the point is, yeah. yeah that, the, the, from a, a biological standpoint, they're going to generally be shorter. They're going yeah. to like. They're going to have reasons why they wouldn't necessarily Correct. be there. There's and not so too having, many. Having a separate women. have a separate division is important, you know, like so that they can compete at the high level as well against like competitors. And so that's why with this one, I actually do look at it as different. I mean, and I think that. Um, and and I wanted to ask you though, like I understand though the the concept of if your identity is different than your biology. That how, why that would create a dilemma for you, you know, and saying, well, I don't want to compete against the guys, you know, like, because just from an idea, I don't see myself as that. I get that, and I'm, I'm sensitive to that. So I, is there a way to be fair here? Um, I think I think this one is one where whoever feels that they were slighted is never going to feel the process was fair, right? Like if, let's say this went to some court and the cisgender women lost and they were told by somebody that they, you know, by the court that they have to allow these transgender um, teens to compete in the track and field events. I'm sure they're going to feel it's unfair. And if I'm sure if the transgender were told that they can't compete in, in against the, the the others, then they're going to feel it's unfair. So, but uh, one thing because you 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 um you went down an interesting rabbit hole with the detail on on um, the difference between let's say a mammal and a bird. Um, I could see someone saying trying to use the argument that well, how is this different? Uh, Jimmy, you're you're a black American, but what if what if you really, really felt like you were Chinese and you moved to China and you said, I want to, I want to, you know, I feel like I'm immersed in Chinese culture. I'm Chinese. And if somebody looks at you and say, Jimmy, you're not Chinese, you're black, man, you're going to get offended by that. Hey, explain how is this different? Because, you know, when you were saying that, that started thinking about how someone could, could have that racial thing, but then, you know, not, what is it? 99.8% of our DNA is all the same, no matter what your race is. That the, the the difference between races is so minute from a genetic standpoint that it hasn't shown. You know, race is really a, a, a human construct of the ego more so than anything else. So, which explain should, a little you bit. Should stick around for the next segment because yeah, yeah, we'll the next get segment into we'll that. get into that. But but explain and then we can finish this one up. That's why. But that's what I thought it'd be based on your analysis of the mammal and the bird and the breastfeeding, and you can choose to do that or not. But you're still going to produce. You know, a, a female mammal that has given birth to whatever the, the, the species is, whether it's a dog, a cat, or a human, the female will produce milk in her glands, in her, in her you know, the, 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 the breast glands, uh, whether she decides to breastfeed or not. So explain how is that different than just like, let's say it's like the, the analogy I made between you just saying you were of a different race. Well, but humans are different from the standpoint of our self-actualization. And so I think that our society should play into that. Now, to what extent our society should bend to allow people to identify beyond characteristics that 
you know, may be defined other ways, biologically, genetically, things like that, is something we figure out. And I'm one to, 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 to generally would want to give people latitude on that. Like, I, I think I, I'm happy that people can find happiness however they can find it. And if that requires not being in the constructs that exist at a given moment, I'm fine with that. You know, it, from the standpoint of as long as you're not infringing on that, like I believe in freedom until you start infringing on the rights of others, basically, you know, like, and, and not the rights. I don't, the right to oppress is not a right. The right to exclude is not a right. So the, the actual forward rights of people. So in, 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 a, in an instance like that, like that's why I made the distinction initially on the, the, when you're talking about classification, which biology is about classification, you know, like when they pull out a bunch of plants and they're looking, they're classifying them based on characteristics and things like that. Um, biology, that's what biology is about versus identity, which would be more of a human thing. You know, a human, this is what I feel like. This is when, you know, like the way I look at the world is from this perspective. And so I, I get it. And I, I, well, I get it as much as I can, you know, as a <laughs> cisgender person. But meaning I, I get it from the standpoint of I'm not here to tell you that that's not legitimate or that you shouldn't be able to do that. Um, but I am here to say also that in, in, in you self-actualizing that, you should not be able to step on other people's rights. And there are, phys- when we're talking athletics, when we're talking physiological there are differences. And so I think that we, we can't trample on that and the rush to promote identity over classification. Classification does exist. It is real. You know, like it, it's something like that, the, the bird example or the, the, the reptile example, you know, like if you, those are things, those are real things, you know, like the, the, we're, I mean, we're going to talk I about. Can't, then if I have another kid with my wife, she can't lay an egg. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> like that, that's a real thing. That's a real what thing. What do you and, mean, man? And, and hom- <laughs> we're going to talk about hominid, hominids next. And you know, hominids are different than canines. You know, like it's just not like th- those are things. So we have to. But I think as a society, I've said this many times. Like we are a pluralistic society, so we have to try to live with each other. And everybody that, that doesn't mean everybody has to to conform to someone else's. Uh, mindset of what they should be. So we need to be flexible with each other. We need to be understanding with each other. But again, like once that starts going into, when you start talking about uh, a, a XY chromosome female is going to compete against an XX chromosome female who physiologically from a, a baseline level of their, their, their being is different and not as well suited to do those things many of the times, then that's when you start trampling. So, you know, that's why I go back to, I think the, the XX chromosome women need protection here because they, 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 the whole point was to set up something where they could compete and not compete against the, 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 uh, XY chromosome human beings. That was the point of setting up the women's division, so to speak. So, um, you know, like it, it it's one of those things though. It's difficult though, because you, you don't take that you run with it and you're trying to, to fit someone into a box. You know, because oh, you have to act like this, you have to dress like this, or, you know, you can't wear high heels or like those type of things may seem trivial, but those are things that happen. And, you know, we need to, we need to be more flexible with each other, more accepting of each other. Um, so, but getting into the, 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 the or classification, you know, and, and how that happens, like one of the, the, the other story that, that really jumped off the page to us this week is now it was in USA Today, they called it a ghost population. But basically what it is though, is looking at the genetics, they're seeing that. Millions of years ago, there were many human species running around. We've heard of Neanderthals. We have, many people have heard of Denisovians. Like, and, and Neanderthals, like people whose uh, ethnicity or cultural heritage, not cultural, genetic heritage is from Europe. They have 
Neanderthal genes in them. People, you know, from from what is it, Oceania, you know, and then <clears throat> South of Asia and in, in those islands and stuff, they have Denisovian in their uh, genes. You know, like the scientists can see it, and so that's something that exists and people are comfortable with. Well, there's a new one now, which is in West Africa. They're, they're, they've seen um, genetic material from some previously unidentified homin- hominid species, human species, prehistoric humans. Um, and so, and, and, and as with the others, it seems like that now, ultimately, humans seem to outcompete all these, modern humans did, but it seems like humans, you know, interbreeded with them. Um, it seems like humans were interacting with them. We were in and around them, you know, like I said, more ways than one. Um, so, are we going to keep finding more of these tuned <laughs> like yeah, in? How many sure different we humans were around back in the day? No, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. I think it, it lends a lot to kind of the Darwin, um, you know, natural selection theory that maybe, and you're right, we, we have a lot of the genetics of these other groups of human, humanoid or whatever you want to call it, type of species. And, um, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, I, I think it's really fascinating that we... Like, we're, it's not that we beat these other species out necessarily, and that's why I got to be careful when I say that the natural selection, like somehow, it was the, it was the survival of the fittest. I well, think we that's don't know a little bit misunderstood. Well, yeah, we don't know what I'm saying is, but the fact that you're what you're identifying is the fact that we have these remnants of these other groups' DNA in our DNA means that maybe it wasn't like we all had a big battle and we just the modern human won that battle because we had this massive war with these other species. I think it was more of we did interbreed over hundreds of thousands of years, at least tens of thousands, based on the um, the information that's been been coming to light. And through that, just the natural selection, like what is modern humans, is probably more of a patchwork of a bunch of different type of humanoids over the last few million years. Yeah, and we're starting well, to remember, discover that when you start talking the the uh, outcompete, there's more than one spear that you can use. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we didn't use the military spear, but we might have used, you know, the 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 spear that might be attached to to X Y chromosome <laughs> human beings. Well, but that's the thing is that, and I mean, and look, we've seen it in in if you want to just look at maybe the outward appearance of humans, right? I mean, look at look at areas of the world like um, the Caribbean or South America. There, if you you know, you and I live in South Florida, so moving here. 20 years ago from another part of the country, which was more traditional American of kind of just black and white stuff, um, has been a fascinating and beautiful journey for me just learning about different types of people because, you know, for example, I used to think that Jamaican people were all black, <laughs> right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, just, yeah. But now it's like, you know, I've met people that they're Jamaican and they've got Chinese, they've got India, like East Indian in them, they've got the African ancestry, they've got the European heritage in them. And... And you just see that this this coming together of all these cultures over time for the various reasons the Africans and were brought not there. Not just slaves. culture, hey, not just culture, but genetic material. You know, Correct. That's my point. Yeah. But that's my point is saying you know the Africans were brought there as slaves. The, you know, the Europeans were the colonists. They brought people from their other colonies, being at the time in China or India, to to to, to do labor and things. So and that all mixed natives. together. And, you know, here we are a hundred years after all that, you know, in a sense, um, it, it, and you have a whole population in this parts of the Caribbean and, and South America countries like Brazil that they just, they're all mixed up and, and, and it's a new kind of group of people, right? We call them Hispanics and we call them Latins and, 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 and they're not considered, let's say, Caucasian or Negro or the other kind of definitions of 
well, that we used to have for, for, for certain slices of, of racial identification. And so I think if we were to extrapolate out the human experience over the last million years, maybe we would find that with the Denisovians and the Neanderthals and now this new ghost one. And again, I think just like we talked in the last one about, um, or not the one just that we had just before, but the one about the, um, the, the climate and all that, yeah. new technologies is, is allowing us to maybe explore um, uh, new commodities uh, in certain ways and to kind of help with having a larger population and, 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 and still not hurting the environment like we once were, in a sense. I feel like the, the new technology is also allowing us to explore human history in a way that we've never been able to. So, so much has come out in the last 20 years that no one ever knew about before. Like this whole Denisovians, you know, they were discovered in like 2012. Yeah, that's recent and, too. And, yeah. and, and they were a human, a humanoid group that lived in Asia. And that they, so, so what's happening is they're starting to believe that there's a pattern where the modern humans did start in kind of the cradle of humanity being in, in, in Africa somewhere, most likely East Africa, kind of modern day Ethiopia, uh, Sudan, uh, Somalia, those, that type of area. But as they branched out, they ran into other humanoid species that were already occupying certain areas. So the Europeans ran into the Neanderthals. The, the, you know, when, when humans migrated, you know, modern humans migrated out of Africa and got to, um, let's say, got to Asia, they ran into the Denisovians. Maybe as they got out of humans, got out of, or modern humans got out of Eastern Africa, they ran into this this ghost species that's not yet been identified in West yeah, Africa. Yeah, it doesn't have a name so, yet. We, we call it ghost, yeah. the, that, the article called it a ghost species, and they Correct. just haven't given it a cool name yet. You know? Correct, and, <laughs> and the article, and to Jimmy's point, if you go to our website, the, you know, the, the article gives the details on how they got to this DNA and identifying. It's a pretty complex, you know, yeah, not, not to talk about it here, but, but it's interesting. And so my point is saying that, again, it's a patchwork of history and human um, evolution because, you know, it, I, I do believe that, like, if you look at, I think it's, it's every, every human outside of what one could say is a pure African right now, alive. East has African. Yet, East African has yeah. Neanderthal DNA. Oh, oh okay. in them. Neanderthal. Okay. And, and, and so what I'm saying, but Jimmy, that includes you and I, right? Like in America, people look at us and say, you're black men. But the reality is we got a whole bunch of Caucasian blood in us. Well, but so that's the fact the, is we do have Neanderthal blood in us. That's the so interesting that, piece to me, actually, is how trivial race is. Like you correct, indicated previously, yeah. um, and, and it, speaking big picture wise, you know, in terms like we, we obsess about race, you know, in our society. But uh, it's an artificial construct, you know, that we use to either oppress each other or categorize each other. That's not something that's in genetics. You know, we, it, in contrast with the prior um, discussion we had, like that's not something from a chromosome like standpoint, or I should say genetics more than anything, because the you can see from the chromosomes in terms of how things are expressed. But from the genetic standpoint, you can't tell the difference. So when they do these the ancestry tests, they can't tell your race, quote unquote. You know, like they can tell where 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 your people might be from, but that could be a whole bunch of things. So what it actually shows, though, because these hom these other human species, these prehistoric human species, there were more than one trips out of Africa, so to speak, for Correct. hominid species. And the way, the, the reason why you have genetically distinct ones is because in some of the earlier ones, they leave and then become isolated for millions, of, a million years Correct. or a half a million years. And so their DNA kind of normalizes to something different. 
and then they get they stay isolated. You have to have this period of isolation after the migration. And then when modern humans came out, which may have been a second or a fifth wave for, you know, who knows? Um, they, there were these people who had been isolated from and modern humans had been isolated from them enough for their DNA in genetics to diverge some. But see, with races, as we term them, the, the, the DNA hasn't had a chance to diverge or never did because, you know, we started mixing up back together again before we were apart for, you know, the, the, the amount of time that it takes for the genetics to start to diverge to where at least they can measure it now. So it really shows like when we're talking Neanderthal and we're talking Denisovian or this new species, they were isolated species for a million years or more. And so their, their genetics got to diverge, whereas when you look at it from a race standpoint, the genetics didn't even diverge. It's, we're still, yeah. we're all that related as modern humans. But then apparently we got all this other stuff in us too. You know, so yeah, I figure we'll keep hearing about this stuff probably. You know, like, oh yeah, yeah no, there was another one. The interesting thing as you're talking, it makes me realize what, what we're basically talking about here for the audience is if for those familiar with Darwin and some of the... Um, the expeditions he made, you know, the Galapagos Islands are probably the most famous, uh, and they're famous today because of Darwin, because of what, what Jimmy you're saying is, is the isolation of certain species. I mean, he had all his recordings of the different birds and all that, but I think the ones that are most notable for most of us that are nerdy enough sitting here watching all these documentaries on Netflix and all this about nature is those marine iguanas, yeah. the big turtles. I mean, there's just... So an iguana is an iguana. We live in Florida. We have kind of what I guess would be considered more regular iguanas, the bright green ones that spend They're the invasive, majority though, of their but... time of land. Mm -hmm. But then you've got these, because the ones in the Galapagos Islands were uh, isolated long enough, they just developed different habits and systems. So they, you know, we call them marine iguanas because they basically go in the ocean to eat. And so what I think you're saying is, is spot on because it's like a human version of that had happened, right? But more certain so, groups, even more so. But yeah, yeah, certain groups left, you know, the cradle of humanity at different times and then were isolated um, for a long enough period of time that they developed their own unique um, kind of traits, but yet not long enough that they fully were a different species. And that's what I mean yeah. by the marine yeah. iguana being a good example. A marine iguana can still be bred with a traditional iguana or like a, like a, like a what is that, a horse and a donkey creates a mule. So, so a horse and a donkey are two different things, but they can still cr be bred to create something unlike a horse and a lion. Yeah. Like those are two such different species that if you try to breed them, their DNA just hitting the egg and the sperm hitting together will just not create anything. Even though uh, they're both mammals, you know, yeah, like, even, even though, though they're like they're, they're still so, share, share some classification. Yeah. So, so it goes back to what you're saying, Jimmy, is that humanity has all these differences and nuances, but really we're still all part of the same umbrella. Like, like 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 um, like canines, right? We all came from a wolf in a sense. Um, there's some there's some species of humanoid back far enough that was that gray wolf that then branched out into be you know what what all these different human breeds are just like different dog breeds, but yet the similarities are still close enough that that we were all able to kind of interbreed over time, and now it's all like you're saying, this hodgepodge of of, of just humans. Yeah, and um, and then and that things like race, and that's why I find these current like the ancestry and the and the 23andme stuff and all that being fascinating because so many people are finding out that they have different genetic makeups than the than what our our egos when we look at a race it says I'm white or I'm black or I'm Chinese or I'm just this or that it's not that simple and I remember watching a documentary which is fascinating is about this kind of stuff about just 
modern human migration patterns. So not something about 100, 200,000 years ago, but just the last couple thousand years. And what they were able to identify through the this, through archaeological digs and findings of bones and the genetic makeup of those things was that um, that um, today, 40% of native Britons, so people that are English that like are considered white native Britons, actually have, can chase their, trace their DNA specifically to tribes from Lebanon and Syria that migrated to England, to the British Isles, um, between 2,000 to 1,500 years ago. Oh, wow. And, and you think about it, and it talked about looking at... So that's like, arch- you know, late Roman period. Correct. So that's where I'm going at. So if you look at the archaeological digs from Lebanon and Syria during that period, they show that there was periods of drought and famine. Mm. So again, just like now, right, where there's certain things, climate caused or wars or things like that, it causes people to migrate. And to your point, what also they said really helped that was the Roman Empire, because now for the first time, someone could travel from the Middle East through the whole European landmass to get to Britain without having to worry about, you know, fighting warlords and, you know, all that kind of stuff that one traditionally would have, because now you're under this massive um, uh, Roman Empire and, you're, and you can travel kind of somewhat freely. And I thought of it, it reminded me a little bit of the British Empire, like I said, about 100 years ago at their peak. That's the one way that you were able to have Chinese and East Indians going to colonies like Jamaica because they're all part of the British Empire and there's a certain kind of ability to travel within that empire no matter where you're from. So again, it's not, it's not unbelievable to think that this might have been happening, you know, 100 200,000 years ago with different humanoid groups that just certain circumstances created the ability during periods of time for people to travel and co-mingle in areas where they once didn't. Yeah. So. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very it's fascinating. And I think we're going to keep, that's why I say, I think we're going to, technology will allow us uh, and, the, and, the, and the technological advances really in the scientific and healthcare community will allow us to continue to dig into DNA and the human genome and all these things and, and continue to learn, so. Yeah, the only uh, limit on that is, of course, the the need for the isolation. So that'll be where, um, uh, like, because there's plenty enough, there's plenty time. You know, like, that's one thing there's plenty of if you go back, you know, but the the, the, the need for the divergent genes, really, you need some, some isolation over periods of time. So that'll be the question is whether or not um, these species were able to be isolated enough. And now, granted, we move around the world, you know, like it's not a big deal, but moving around, you know, as you kind of alluded to previously, has not always been difficult. And generally, through most of human time period, it's very difficult to Correct. get 100 miles, you know, or, or exactly. you know, to get 1,000 miles is like, get out of here. So that happens, over, getting 1,000 miles happens over generations, you know. So, um, but nonetheless, you know, it was interesting enough to, to kind of just kick it around. Um, so yeah. we, we definitely appreciate, you know, you guys, our audience joining us um, as we, 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 again, always just look at some of these issues and try to look at them from different angles. Uh, we appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. Uh, so until next time, I'm James Keys. All right, subscribe, rate, review, you know, let us know your feedback. All right, have a good day.